to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Whittington Hospital NHS Trust and XX. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 14. And the story behind this case is not exactly a happy one, but the hope is that the law can be a positive influence and effect a change in somebody's life. The claimant is anonymised as XX, but we do know that she had cervical smear tests in 2008 and 2012, as well as cervical biopsies in 2012 as well. These all took place at the Appellant Hospital in North London, but sadly they were negligently reported and the cervical cancer of XX was so far developed by 2013 that treatment would leave her unable to bear a child. Ahead of her chemotherapy, she had eight of her eggs collected and frozen, and so this meant that with the help of a surrogate, XX and her partner would still be able to have children. However, one problem is that the likelihood of success in these circumstances is only one in four. So with eight eggs, that means two children, but XX and her partner always plan to have four children. With this in mind, they wanted the other two children to be born via a surrogacy arrangement, but with the partner's sperm and a donor egg. For XX, doing this in the UK was a point of concern because while the law does not prohibit non-commercial surrogacy arrangements, those arrangements cannot be enforced and so there is always a risk that the surrogate mother could choose not to give up the child. As a result, they wanted to do this in California, which is well known as a surrogacy-friendly state where commercial arrangements are allowed and pre-birth orders can establish legal parenthood. Of course, all this would be expensive, and so XX launched the current claim to have the hospital foot the bill. After all, they were the ones that had failed to catch her cervical cancer soon enough in the first place. The good news is that the hospital admitted liability, but when it came to damages, the judge made an interesting decision. For a start, it was held that surrogacy using donor eggs was not something that would restore the fertility of the claimant. Furthermore, following the decision in Briody and St. Helens and Knowsley Area Health Authority from the year 2000, the judge stated that because of the stark differences between the law in the UK and in the US, a claim for commercial surrogacy would be contrary to public policy. Therefore, the only damages that could be awarded were for the surrogacy arrangements in the UK that made use of XX's eggs. Both the NHS Trust and XX appealed against this judgment, and the Court of Appeal eventually found in favour of XX on all points, in a decision that would even allow for the payment of commercial surrogacy arrangements in California. In response to this, the hospital appealed to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. Lady Hale began by diving a bit deeper into surrogacy law in the UK. We have already noted that commercial arrangements are banned, and a court has to make a parental order to transfer legal parenthood to the commissioning parents. But Section 2.1 of the Surrogacy Act 1985 takes this further by stating that third parties may not initiate or take part in negotiations with a view to making surrogacy arrangements on a commercial basis. However, there is a bit of a loophole here because offences under the Act can only take place in the UK, and so it is perfectly feasible for agencies that are based overseas to make surrogacy arrangements on a commercial basis. That certainly opens things up for XX personally, but there is a big difference between her and her partner pursuing that option themselves, and a court in the UK making an award of damages to fund such an arrangement. 
After all, the decision in Briodi seems to put a blocker on judges based on public policy grounds. However, Lady Hale noted that that Court of Appeal decision is certainly not binding on the Supreme Court, and any persuasiveness that it might have is affected by subsequent developments in the law, as well as changing attitudes towards surrogacy in society. This understanding of the law is combined with the general principle of tort law known as restitutio in integrum, which basically means that the law is seeking to restore the claimant to the position as if the negligent act had never occurred, so long as doing so is not illegal, contrary to public policy, or simply unreasonable. Putting all of this together, we can begin to apply the law to the case at hand. In terms of using XX's own X, the question that Briodi poses is whether there is a reasonable chance of success. We have already noted that the expert evidence suggests that there is a decent prospect that XX and her partner will be able to have two children that share their parents' DNA, and if we combine this with the fact that XX deliberately held back from having cancer treatment in order to have her eggs frozen, then it only seems fair that the NHS Trust ought to be liable for the costs associated with this. That was a relatively simple decision because it lined up with the principle of restitutio in integra, and restored what the claimant had lost, but according to Briodi, the same could not be said about donor eggs, because this was not something that XX had lost herself. The Supreme Court unanimously decided that Briodi was wrong in this regard, and were pretty damning with their criticism, even going so far as to say that it was likely wrong even at the time the decision was handed down 20 years ago. The idea of what constitutes a family is certainly not limited to biological children, and that has been the case for a long time. Reducing tort law to a simple equation of what has been literally lost to the claimant is not good enough in these circumstances. It is not as if XX has lost the use of a car that she can simply replace. This is about losing the opportunity to have the family that she and her partner had always wanted. Using donor eggs is likely the closest that the claimant will get to this, and therefore a claim for damages should succeed. The final question for the court to decide was whether damages should be awarded to fund surrogacy treatment in a country where commercial arrangements are allowed, and on this point the justices were divided. For the majority, the central issue here was around the fairly loose concept of public policy. After all, a court will refuse to enforce a contract if it is contrary to public policy. Here, this is mostly a question about the legality of seeking treatment in California, but as has already been noted, the commissioning parent XX would not be in breach of Section 2.1 of the Surrogacy Act 1985. Even beyond this simple legal question, though, public policy itself has become a long way since Briodi was decided. Government policy supports surrogacy arrangements, and it is certainly not something that is taboo in society anymore. The Law Commission that is tasked with looking into ways to develop the law has suggested some form of surrogacy pathway that, if implemented, would allow the commissioning parties to be recognised as the legal parents of the resulting child from birth. Even the courts have made strides in the last 20 years to do more to recognise the relationships that arise from surrogacy. Of course, the usual caveats apply, so it has to be reasonable to get the treatment abroad rather than in the UK, and there has to be a reasonable chance of success, but as long as that is satisfied, the majority saw no reason why damages should not be awarded to a claimant in these circumstances. Lord Carnworth's dissenting judgment, which Lord Reed concurred with, 
basically felt that this was taking the law too far. The central idea for him was that the civil law and the criminal law should be coherent with each other. In other words, the courts should not award damages to essentially fund something that could result in criminal proceedings if it were carried out in the UK. This is certainly a lot more down the middle when it comes to an understanding of public policy. After all, while attitudes and society have changed since the decision in Briodi, it is not as if the law has changed in any substantive way, and the Surrogacy Act 1985 remains in force. So when it comes down to our own analysis of this case, it is hard not to interpret it through the lens of Lady Hale. After all, she gave the lead judgment in this, her last case before retirement, and essentially overturned the decision in Briodi, where she was on the panel of judges in the Court of Appeal at the time. Perhaps I have been watching too much of the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, but this does feel emblematic of her own last dance. It seems trite to brand Lady Hale as a feminist at this point, and I think some people label her as such, simply by virtue of the fact that she is a woman in high authority. But with her specialty in family law, she has done a lot over the years to redress some of the gender gap issues that the law has allowed to stand unchallenged for years. The law on surrogacy is no different, and it is completely backwards. Even the fact that we are still relying on a statute from 1985 to decide this case shows how issues around fertility and family planning are not given due respect by a parliament that is still dominated by men. Perhaps at the time, the ban on commercial surrogacy was genuinely based on a fear that women or families in a vulnerable position might be exploited, but surely we are now in a position to take a more modern and nuanced view. Of course, these concerns still exist for both the client and the surrogate, but the answer is not an outright ban, but rather a well-regulated scheme that protects all parties involved. XX should not have to travel to California like some criminal dodging the law, and any surrogate in the UK should be properly compensated for doing something as amazing as helping to bring a new life into the world. By leading the majority in overturning the previous decision in Briodi, Lady Hale has very much put the issue back into the mainstream, and placed the ball in Parliament's court. Now that the highest court in the land has pretty much acknowledged the legality of surrogacy, it is up to politicians in the UK to either let things move ahead unchecked, or to actually regulate what is already going on. Another aspect of this decision that merits attention is how the judgement breathes a greater depth into tort law, which is so often entirely transactional in nature. What I mean by this is that Briodi took the principle of restitutio in integrum, and only saw that as restoring the ability of the claimant to have her own children so far as it was possible to do so. This meant that any claim for costs associated with the use of donor eggs was doomed to fail. The distinction between a claimant's own eggs and those of a donor is important, but when it comes to the actual surrogacy arrangements, this would be like distinguishing between the natural-born children of a family and those who are adopted. As far as the law is concerned, they should be regarded as equals. Tort is all about working out how much compensation a claimant is owed for the damage that is done to them, but it is also important that this calculation is flexible enough to incorporate a full understanding of the depth of human relationships. Before we finish, I also think there is some value in making some general comments about Lady Hale's career for the last time. 
Although her time as President of the Supreme Court was relatively short at just over two years, her impact on UK law as a judge since 1989 has been nothing short of phenomenal. Even if you disagree with some of her decisions, there is no denying the force and clarity with which she makes her judgments. This has also been true of her appearance in the media and on the lecture circuit, where she did not use her position to spout off on the issue of the day, but rather to instead further advance the principles of human rights and equality that became her life's work. In terms of the case law, we have already spoken about the impact she has had on family law, amongst other areas of jurisprudence, and you don't need me to tell you that the last few years in the Supreme Court have seen some massively important cases pass across her desk, given the political upheaval the country has undergone. Apparently Lady Hale is taking the time in lockdown to write her memoirs, and that will be well worth a read when they do come out, but hopefully her most important legacy is one that she will be able to continue well into retirement, as a role model for women in the judiciary and the legal profession in general, she has always been, and will always continue to be, an inspiration. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. If you do get a chance to visit my website at uklawweekly.com, then please do also sign up for the newsletter while you are there. There's a link to do so at the right-hand side as you go to the homepage. I'll be back with another case next week, but for now, bye!